Dr. Susie Wu and Monique Shields, it's so great to welcome both of you here this morning. Thank you for having us. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to be talking about our good heart health from two different sides of this perspective, because here with you, Dr. Wu, you are a cardiologist, so you're working on good heart health. Monique, you're going to share a story of some challenges in terms of good heart health. So kind of two sides of that coin, right? Right. Right. I was thinking, Dr. Wu, in terms of your being a cardiologist, how did you come to choose this profession in medicine? Yes, I was also always interested in the heart and brain. So it was kind of a choice between cardiology and neurology. A lot of us, I think of, of doctors wanting to deal with really sick people and then non not as sick people, more like non-emergency diseases. And I always knew I wanted to work with sick people. And so I think that kind of separated out, you know, some people who like to work with with emergencies and others who don't. And then um, the heart is just a fascinating organ. It's so important. It's um, the physiology just makes sense to me. And um, I think I like to help people go through crises, you know, and, and, and work towards better health. So I, I'm interested in primary prevention or preventive cardiology. And so um, it's just where I landed. And I think the group of people that are in cardiology are kind of like-minded. That sounds good to me. It sounds like if I'm going to have any kind of a heart hit issue, I want to come see you because you're just very proactive and positive and upbeat about it. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, on the other side of this coin, Monique, you have had uh, some history of heart disease in your family. Is that right? Exactly, yes. My dad died of congenital heart failure um, a few days shy of his 60th birthday, suddenly. And my mom, in the past few years, has been diagnosed with heart disease. She's had four surgeries and has had a pacemaker put in in the last year. And she's now living with congestive heart failure. So it definitely runs in my family. I've had high blood pressure for 19 and a half years now. And how did that kind of surface? How did you become aware that you had the high blood pressure? Well, I found out um, I had high blood pressure in pregnancy. I was in my 35th week of pregnancy. I went to my doctor's appointment just a regular doctor's appointment, left the house, put on flip-flops, grabbed my purse, and was out the door and got there. And, of course, my blood pressure was taken, and it was extremely high. Um, the nurse took it. It was 211 over 108, which was high. So she had me lay in the room for a little bit more and see if it went down, which it didn't. So she asked me to go over to emergency room um, for monitoring, I thought I would be sitting in an emergency room with a cuff on my arm, but a wheelchair was rolled out and I was admitted to the hospital. So I was in the hospital four hours before my doctor came in and he came in to tell me I would be having a baby soon due to my blood pressure and that I would be sent in an ambulance from Federal Way to a Tacoma high risk hospital. High risk, did they use that word? that terminology? They didn't at the time. Oh, good. <laughs> but they were calling around to what hospital I could go to. So I, I kind of thought it was a little bit um, 
high risk. risk. Yes. High risk, yes. High risk pregnancy for sure. So I was in the hospital overnight, and in the morning is when I was told I had preeclampsia, and that's high blood pressure in pregnancy. Never heard of preeclampsia. I couldn't pronounce it. I kept asking my husband, what's it called again? Um, so I was told I would be on bed rest for three days. Um, they wanted to develop my lungs of the baby. So they did that, and I was induced three days later, had a healthy baby. Um, that's my 19-year-old today. But my blood pressure would not go down. So I remained on bed rest in the hospital for another three days. And so that's pretty much started my whole journey. Dr. Wu, how common is that for high blood pressure to just surface at that point in pregnancy? And and then the terminology preeclampsia, is that pretty typical? Preeclampsia is one known um, pregnancy-related complication, and we're there's a growing awareness that pregnancy can be a type of stress test that unmasks some of these tendencies towards high blood pressure or diabetes. Sometimes it's isolated to the pregnancy, but like in Monique's case, it persisted and it just kind of, um, she had that stress test and then the hypertension continued. So it can be a very early sign of increased risk for high blood pressure or other cardiovascular disease in the future. So I think we're recognizing that more and more and we're taking that into account when trying to estimate someone's lifetime risk of developing disease and being proactive about prevention in those patients. And the history, the family history, did that play a role in Monique's case, which would perhaps then be an example of it being the case for others in similar circumstances? Right. It very well uh, probably played a role because she was awfully young when she developed um, hypertension or preeclampsia. And um, definitely when we see a strong family history of high blood pressure, uh, that is certainly, uh, there's probably a genetic component to it. Um, there can be other lifestyle things that contribute, but certainly, I, like anything else, there's both genetics and and the environment that we live in, the lifestyle choices we make. Just like people who have high cholesterol, you know, it's it's there can be a really strong genetic component, and we can do a lot to modify it. But sometimes we have to take medications because there's no other way to way to address that risk factor. Right. And so, Monique, how have you been feeling in these intervening years? You're raising a child. Did you have another? I did. Yes. I had another child. Um, I had them five years apart. I had complications between each pregnancy. I don't know if it was related to my blood pressure, but um, definitely had um, complications conceiving the second time around. But with my second pregnancy... I was, you know, under a radar the whole time. I was actually put on bed rest before I showed any symptoms. So I was on bed rest for two weeks before I had my second son and induced early. They just didn't want to even go through it. <laughs> right. And that's pretty normal, right, Dr. Wu? Well, yes. If you had a high-risk pregnancy before, I'm sure they kept a really close eye on you and didn't want you to be in any danger with your second and have to possibly deliver early. Yeah. yeah. So two teenagers, and in terms of their health, they're doing great. They're doing great, yes. Um, so throughout the years, though, I have to admit, you know, I've really done things in the past 17 years 
to not take care of my blood pressure. It has taken me a full 17 years to finally get a handle on it. So I'm, I'm incorporating a lot of things into my life now, but it was due to my um, parents that I started to take it serious. Really, for the most part, all I did in my past 17 years was take medication. So... So you, so even though there were these high risk pregnancies, but you were taking the medication, but you were not thinking that oh, there's anything bigger at play here. No, no, not at all. Um, you know, when I first had my son, I was overwhelmed. He was premature. I had him early. I wasn't expecting that, so I was busy taking care of him. And then you know, five years later, I have another child. I'm extremely busy like everyone else. I work full-time, married, have two kids. So, you know, also not having symptoms. Um, you know, I, f- I felt fine. So it was just medication compliance. I think it's so great how you kind of took control of of your heart destiny or even for your whole body. What's good for your heart is good for your whole body and how you really, sometimes people depend on the medications too much and don't think about what else they could do for their health. And as doctors, we don't want that. You know, we want you to be healthy in all ways and not just depend on a medication to fix things. You know, if there are things that you can do to be healthier. So I think it's so great that you've really incorporated those lifestyle changes that can help the blood pressure and maybe even, you know, potentially for some people decrease their need for medications um, or get rid of them completely. Sometimes over time you can take one instead of two, you know, so with all those changes. That is language I love to hear yeah. because to approach this from a more of a natural perspective. And so as a cardiologist, do you see that it's possible to maybe come off the medication? Could Monique be looking to do that? It depends on the person. Okay. You know, when she developed high blood pressure, if she was so young, that suggests there might be a genetic component. And so I tell patients, you know, don't don't blame yourself or don't feel like you're doing everything wrong. Um, just use it to empower yourself and say, well, you know, there's so much I can do. Some of it is out of my control, but there is stuff that I can control. And those are the ways I can help address my blood pressure and become a healthier person. So I think that um, that there's a role for both and, and that definitely there's some component of genetics and there's some component of lifestyle and just making sure you're addressing both of them is important. And Dr. Wu is exactly right. You know, I've had to make this a lifestyle change. Um, Both my parents, of course, made me realize that I feel like I have one foot in the door (laughs) with heart (laughs) disease, you know, like I'm a ticking time bomb walking around. But um, I've really had to make this part of my life. And um, so what I do on average is exercise three to five times a week, at least 30 minutes, Um, on nice days at work, everyone knows that I'm going on my walk. I get back. Did you go on your walk? Did you go on your walk? So <laughs> go on my walk, walk about two miles at lunchtime. I found a, a fitness class that I really enjoy at the gym. So I do that two days a week. I'm also really taking my medication consistently, taking my blood pressure and trying to have a healthy diet. And it's not easy. You know, it's taken me 17 years to really incorporate this in my life. But when I do these things, I feel better. And also, I'm more motivated in seeing, you know, my consistency with working out and doing all of these 
things on a regular basis. Right. Well, you are an inspiration. That is for sure. It's exciting to hear stories about awareness and that it's not a, sometimes it could be an instant change, but realizing that, you know, we're, we're learning all the time and just taking those steps and at least moving forward and upward, basically, is, is really positive. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. And I'm thinking that, you know, with this being Heart Health Awareness Month, the American Heart Association's Heart Awareness Month, although every day all throughout the year needs to be that awareness. But here we are uh, in February, which is the awareness time. And the first Friday of the month is especially a big awareness day, right? That's right. It's uh, National Wear Red Day, which is a big part of the February Heart Month, where we encourage everyone to wear red. Women and men, I mean, the the symbol is a red dress, but we encourage the men to participate also if they want to wear a red tie or whatever to support the women in their lives and the message that heart health is for everyone, but also just to increase awareness that heart disease is the leading cause of death for women, uh, not only for men, but women too, uh, which is not something everybody knew and everybody knows. And that's the goal of the Wear Red Day is to really increase awareness that Heart disease is a significant, uh, it's the number one killer. Yeah, so. Yes. And I think, Monique, as you say, people at work ask, have you gone on your walk? Mm -hmm. So you have heightened awareness Mm -hmm. in your workplace, certainly, I'm sure with your family as well. But these sorts of activities and actions and maybe even wearing red on that day Mm -hmm. causes someone to ask a question like Right, right. Yeah, so wear red day. That's a day for everyone to wear red to raise awareness. And as Dr. Wu mentioned, it's not just for women. It's for the men in our lives. And I often remind my husband and sons to wear red that day to think of me and to think of the others in their family affected by heart disease. And so at work, I initially introduced this three years ago as a fun day and an excuse to wear red and bring awareness to um, heart disease and stroke. And everyone just really bought in and enjoyed it. And so um, we all wear red that day. We take a group picture at some point in the day. And with that, um, it's open communication where I've talked to other people in the office that have friends and family members affected by heart disease also. And then we've incorporated some um, additional heart disease awareness activities into our office. Um, We've brought a blood pressure cuff which um, we encourage everyone to take their blood pressure once during the day. Um, We have had CPR training twice in the office, so the majority of our office knows CPR. And then due to our workplace wellness activities, the um, Pierce County Chamber has recognized us for workplace wellness. That is so incredible. I'm, I'm in awe that all of this is going on. Are you Dr. Wu? Right. I think it's just an important day that we can focus on uh, heart health in general and for everybody to to start a conversation about risk factors, about people they know that have suffered from heart disease, what they can learn from that or what they've uh, learned about themselves in terms of their family history or what they can do in the future to improve their heart health. Well, it can be this silent killer. We know that about heart, right. heart attacks, right? High blood pressure in, in, in particular is the silent killer because a lot of 
people don't have any symptoms until their blood pressure is very high. And I think um, that was the case with Monique and so many others where it's detected just by chance by their primary care physician or by their dentist, or if they happen to just check in a Bartels for no reason, which is a great thing to do, uh, just to screen. It may not be the most accurate, but at least it's, it's one way to just touch base with yourself and make sure that things are going okay. And so many employers now will also have uh, preventative screenings and, and, you know, have a visit to check your cholesterol and your blood pressure to make sure you're not at risk. Exactly. And I was so grateful I had that doctor's appointment that day. You know, I wasn't even at my weekly prenatal appointments. I just happened to have a doctor's appointment that day because I felt fine. And, um, I had no symptoms. It wasn't until I was in the hospital about two hours that I started seeing spots in front of my eyes. But prior to that, I had no symptoms at all. I think it's that just illustrates how important it is to do those regular visits, you know, because you may feel fine, but there might still be something wrong. And so um, that's, there's a reason why you go in for these checkups and just to make sure there's nothing that's underlying, even though you may be feeling just fine. And I actually have that kind of personal experience as well, where I actually was going to donate blood. Right. And it was at that experience, taking the blood pressure, they said, oh, no, we can't do this. Your blood pressure is too high. And I had an awareness that at times it was kind of marginally high, but never any kind of situation that made me no headaches, no spots, as you're mentioning, Monique, nothing. So, you know, as you say, Dr. Wu, having regular appointments to check this and, you know, making it, taking the opportunity at the, at a pharmacy to use that blood pressure cuff, right? Right. I mean, a normal blood pressure is less than 120 over 80. I mean, that's the ideal blood pressure. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, And, If they're on treatment, the goal is to keep it less than 130 over 80 for most people. Um, And when people get symptoms is typically when their blood pressure is 180s, 200s, or their bottom number is in the 90s or 100s. So there's a huge gap in between those numbers, between ideal and when people tend to have symptoms. And so uh, that's that whole area of, of that, that's why 50% of women or people don't know that they have hypertension or high blood pressure unless it's checked. Right. So that's a, a key thing here is really look at that blood pressure, know what yours is, be monitoring it. Uh, if it goes beyond that 120 over 80, if you've checked it, uh, certainly get in to see your doctor. Right. Talk to your doctor about where it should be, if you need any changes or if there's any other lifestyle changes that they might recommend for you to do to get that number down and, and have that open dialogue with your doctor. I think it's really important to find someone that's going to support you on that journey and work together with you that you feel that you can communicate with as well. Exactly. So Monique, you were saying you have made lifestyle changes in the last couple of years. You just really got serious about this and you've got exercise activity going on. Right. Um, And again, it's not easy, but I've had to make it a lifestyle change. And what I do um, to make it work for me is I put reminders on my phone. I set appointments in my calendar for me to go for my walks. If I know that my week is going to be extremely busy, I may have to go for my walk at 10 a.m. or go to the gym at 5.30 instead of noon, just so that I can fit in my exercise. 
also setting reminders to take my blood pressure, to get my prescription for my medication, um, to eat healthier, to not grab the bag of chips and the Coke and all the things that I want to do. But when I have the reminders and I wear an Apple Watch, if I see my consistency, you know, that gives me more motivation to do things the right way. I think your story just illustrates how we can use the tools and technology now to mm. to be proactive about our own health and monitor things on our own. Especially in cardiology, we have all these tools that that patients can use at home, like an Apple Watch or having a blood pressure cuff at home that really can minimize the number of visits to the to the doctor. You can notify the doctor of things that are going on before. Uh, they check in with you and it, it can be really empowering. And um, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, you can use technology to, to better your health, you know. Yeah, it's very helpful for my doctors when I come in with my own blood pressure readings. They're not just going off the one for that moment. You know, I rushed in from work and so it's higher than normal. But, you know, if I'm able to give them my readings and then they can make adjustments with my medication. Exactly. It's been shown in a big study two years ago that home monitoring of blood pressure can lead to better blood pressure control. And better blood pressure control correlates with longer life, better survival. I mean, high blood pressure increases your risk for every other type of cardiovascular disease, for heart attacks, for stroke, for arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation and congestive heart failure. And so um, addressing the high blood pressure is so important. And so getting uh, a home monitoring device, I have one that I put on my wrist. Right. It's something as simple as that, right? Exactly. It's important to make sure you bring it in every so often to make sure it's accurate. It correlates with what we get in the office. Um, and it's important to not obsess about it and take it too many times. That can sometimes cause anxiety and make your blood pressure <laughs> get worse. Um, and so it's it's a fine balance. I think what's important is, is if you're doing well, you don't have to check it often. But if there's a change or if you're not feeling Feeling well or something, it's a tool that you can use to say, oh, I'm okay, or no, after this medication change, um, this is working or it's not working and I need to tell my doctor. Right. Yeah. So we're talking about taking our blood pressure, really monitoring that, being active, find some kind of physical activity that is comfortable for us and just do it consistently. That's right. right. It's it's kind of like taking a medication. It's, it's your daily dose of activity that can help a bring down your blood pressure and, you know, eating a healthy diet and in, even independent of any weight loss or anything, the physical activity is is going to bring down your blood pressure. So even if you don't, you know, see any weight loss, it's still so valuable in and of itself. Um, and in terms of diet, you know, limiting the amount of salts you eat. We in America eat three times the amount of salt that we should. Um, it's hidden in all kinds of things. A lot of people say, no, I never salt my food, but then they're eating potato chips and french fries and, you know, soy sauce. And and so um, just being mindful of how much salt there is in our food and, and increasing our potassium intake, which a lot of people don't know can help lower their blood pressure, especially in African-Americans. Um, there's a great benefit. So you can lower your blood pressure by five or 10 points just with these lifestyle changes or even more, which might avoid you from adding a new blood pressure medication, for example. So potassium, taking a potassium supplement is going to help. Oh, it's much better in diet. So try to get it in food. Yeah. So we would, I haven't ever prescribed a potassium supplement just for blood pressure, but I do encourage people to increase it in their food. Yes. 
And I think bananas are one of those things. Bananas, potatoes, tomatoes, you know, beet greens, mushrooms. So there's all kinds of sources of potassium out there for those not so banana lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and Monique, as you say, you've been changing your diet. Uh, does that include the family, your husband and the boys? My husband is uh, pretty health conscious, but, you know, I have two teenage sons, so, you know, I try to do what I can, but it's more me. <laughs> Which is great, because I I think that that still is so important to be modeling that. Right. They may not want to do that right now, exactly. but it's planting those seeds in their mind. Right, and if anything, they really see my physical activity. Mm-hmm. You know, Mom, you're going to the gym, and, you know, um, I worked out um, almost a full month of February back in 2019, and that's when we had the snow. So I had a goal to work out every day that month, but then we had the big major snow. And so I was pretty close to meeting my goal, and I was like, I'm not going to miss my goal just because of the snow. So I incorporated things at home, Um, dancing and walking around the house, up and down the stairs to meet my fitness goals for the full month of February. So they see things like that. Yeah. It's so great because it shows that, you know, when there's a will, there's a way, right? Even with the snow, even, I mean, we in Seattle tend to get holed up in the winter and everybody says, well, I like to walk, but the weather's so bad. But there are ways to remain active and, and you those, you just have to find a way if, if, if it's important to you. Right. And I know that there's a, a heart walk that comes up uh, in May. I think it's at the end of May, September. It's in September. So we check on the website at uh, AmericanHeart.org and get those dates. But in the meantime, there uh, there's a wonderful event coming up at the end of February where we can get lots of information. And the luncheon is so fabulous because I, I love it as this model of how to simply eat very healthily. And you're both going to be at the Heart Association luncheon, which is uh, Friday, February 28th at the Westin in Seattle. That's right. right. Yeah. It's a great event for women to hear other people's stories, um, for physicians and other people involved in heart care or just other survivors, people who are leaders that want to donate to this cause um, and really uh, increase awareness in the community uh, and give back. So it's, it's a great collect- collection of people. And this will be my third year of, the, of attending the luncheons. And, you know, they're great fun. I encourage anyone to attend. I normally um, take one of my co-workers or a girlfriend. Um, the food is healthy, which is great. You're not walking into a luncheon with, you know, mashed potatoes <laughs> and all this stuff I love, but I don't need to eat. Um, and so, again, um, as Dr. Wu mentioned, February 28th is the Westin in Seattle, and March 11th is at the Hotel Murano in Tacoma. And I've attended um, two years. Last year um, was a little more emotional for me um, because my mom had recently been diagnosed with heart disease. Um, And then at the time, she'd only had her pacemaker for a month. So I was sitting back reflecting on her life and the fact that she she was alive and she's a survivor. And that with good health care and getting treatment early, that 
you know, if you have high blood pressure or heart disease, you can survive and you can live a vibrant life. So well put, Monique, coming from that personal perspective. And Dr. Wu, from your cardiologist perspective, the the two of you really put forward such a strong case for our good heart health. And I think to bring awareness, just remember coming up this next Friday, the first Friday of the month of February, wear red. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Heighten that awareness. So I thank you both so greatly for being here. You're both such inspirations, and I just value what you have to say, and I'm trusting it's reaching just the right people who need to hear the message and get heart healthy themselves, right? We really hope so. Thank you for having us. You're so welcome.